As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Billy Aituli from Phoenix, Arizona. It's time for the best hour of your week. Welcome to the Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, the final tennis podcast of 2023, introduced brilliantly there by Billy in Phoenix, Arizona, which isn't a place that Matt and I have driven through, but I think is a place that we have seen on signposts during uh, road trips to other uh, US destinations. Um, he's really bigged us up there, Billy. I think it's going to be quite tough for us to be the best hour of uh, a lot of people's weeks, given that a lot of people's weeks this week are going to feature pigs in blankets. But uh, Matt, David, we will do our best. Yes, yes, big challenge. Um, but but I'm confident. I, 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 about two days ago, I think I did write to you and say, I don't think we should bother doing a podcast this week. What do you think? And somehow we are doing one. So that's a bit of an about turn, isn't it? That that I'd be saying that and that we would still end up doing it. Yeah, first time ever. I think those words have, have been typed by David. Uh, but tennis, in, in, in true tennis fashion, has, has thrown up news and stuff to talk about, even, even in the so-called off-season. So here we are. Basically, we're all trying to avoid having to do a podcast that focused too much on the ultimate tennis showdown but it turns out other things have happened besides <laughs> the ultimate tennis showdown don't worry we will um we will Rant. mention that that is oh, that is <laughs> that is on our agenda um but so are a number of other other notable news stories that have cropped up over the last week or so and we should probably start with the news um which i first read on the bbc sport 
website, um, story by Russell Fuller, and uh, the BBC's tennis correspondent, which is that the chief executive of the WTA Tour, Steve Simon, is to relinquish his role and become executive chairman of the organisation, a role that didn't previously exist. Um, Simon has been chief of uh, both chief executive and chairman since 2015, but the roles will be split to create, quote, greater focus on the WTA's goals. Uh, obviously, Steve Simon's position, uh, as the BBC report here says, has been under scrutiny since last month's season-ending WTA finals in Cancun, where world number two, Irina Sabalenka, said she felt, quote, disrespected by the way the event was organised. Simon will still play a major part in the WTA's fo- future. He will focus on governance, integrity and the WTA's strategic interest and the new chief executive will report to him. Which makes it, David, quite difficult for me to make sense of this story and its implications because I I don't exist in the corporate world. I talk about tennis for a living um, and it sounds to me quite difficult to know materially what difference this will make. Um, he so he's remaining in the position of ultimate authority at the WTA, as far as I can gather, because the new chief executive will report into him. You you perhaps understand the corporate world. Well, in fact, get rid of the perhaps. David, you understand the corporate world better than I do. What do you make of this story? Well, I don't really understand this decision because I feel like it's it's neither here nor there it's it's neither a new start a true new start or a commitment to something and a system that worked it's it feels like a fudge to be honest and and i don't think it sounds very good um i i've been on record ever since the moment that uh, the stance on china changed and the wta and steve simon decided that they were going to back down from their uh, principled stance about Peng Shui and go back into business with China and um, and I said that he, he should stand down at that point because I felt like I can't take what he says seriously anymore given given the position and the the passion with which he spoke and the authority with which he spoke and then rode back on um, I, I, I felt even more like that after what happened in Cancun and, and the various things that have, have gone wrong. And um, and yes, I, I accept it hasn't been an easy year. I do understand those things that he's he's told Russell Fuller in this article. And, and he he has talked about how the role is, is too too big effectively for, for one person. So better off to split it up and, you know, double the amount of hours in the, the day kind of thing and get somebody else on board. Um, talked about having a woman in, in that position as well. Now, that I do think is the right thing to do for sure. I just, I think Steve Simon is a, a good person who has who has done some good things and some bad things over the last however many years. But the fact is, it doesn't feel like the organisation is moving in the right direction. There are too many of these situations where they are miles behind the ATP finals with the WTA finals. So we're not finding out until so so shortly beforehand. And yet also the, the position on China 
changed as well. So you're not getting any win as far as I'm concerned in in that one. And here we are with, we don't know who it's going to be, who this new person is going to be. I, I think it would have been much, much better, provided they got the right person, of course. That is a big if. But to have a new start and a new person in charge and just announce that person, not have this period of, Steve Simon's kind of going going upstairs, being moved upstairs, and then he's hiring whoever else it is or or that person is reporting to him. I understand that he has experience and maybe that's why, but I do find it all pretty disappointing and and I don't have a huge amount of confidence in in this structure going forwards. It makes you think Matt, about that podcast we did with Matt Futterman a couple of weeks ago, and it was we had Matt Futterman of The Athletic on to talk specifically about the story he broke about the 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 rumblings about a sort of a super tour, a super breakaway tour potentially uh, being launched at some point in the next uh, few months or or year or so. Um, but Matt always says. Executives in sport or elsewhere are just never ever going to talk themselves out of a job. They're never going to make decisions which do themselves out of a job. And and those are words that were ringing in my ears as I as I read this article, this piece of news. Yeah, I think I think he's kind of he's nailed it there, hasn't he? At the, at the first possible bit of news we've got of a, a bit of restructuring of one of the one of the big seven groups in tennis and all it is is a restructuring as you said rather than a a stepping down um i was i was a bit disappointed by the fact that even in even in his quotes to russell fuller there didn't seem to be that much of a recognition on the wta's part that it had been a bad year he he, he was talking about perceptions that it's been a tough year and that this decision has been made well before some of the issues that came up in in Cancun for example and I don't know there wasn't much owning I didn't think of the fact that this really had been a bit of a mess from the WTA this year and that would have given me a bit more faith I think if if it had been right we recognize this has been bad we are changing something this doesn't feel like that at all um and I, I I'm a bit bit worried about that I suppose and yeah in reality it doesn't feel like much has changed the same guy is still there the new we as we think it will be a woman is going to be reporting to him like how much has actually changed here it doesn't feel like a lot to me mm. yeah we'll um we'll keep you posted on the story um as it becomes clear who that new female uh, we assume chief executive will be um, and I assume that will be announced with with great fanfare, and they'll that person will do a round of interviews, and we'll get to hear what they're about, um, and we'll see. I'm interested to know whether it's sort of somebody that's on our tennis radar, or whether it's you know somebody from the corporate world m- moving into the the tennis world. Um, who knows at this stage? Um, Next bit of news we have for you is from Simona Halep. Uh, She's been doing some interviews recently. She has a hearing date set for her appeal to the Court of Arbitration for Sport. That is in February of next year. She told Euronews that 
she's no longer working with Patrick Moratoglu, who recently took the blame for her taking contaminated collagen. That is what he and she claim is is the source of her positive testing, although the uh, judgment that was made um, at the time that her ban that currently stands was handed out ruled that it was impossible for a contaminated uh, contaminated supplement, although there may very well have been a contaminated supplement, it was poss- impossible for that to have accounted for the quantities uh, that were found in her samples. Obviously, uh, Halep is contesting that, and that uh, contest, that appeal, will be heard at CAS in February. But Halep has told Euronews that she's no longer working with Mortoglu, um, suspended currently for four years for having Roxadustat in her system and for irregularities in her biological passport. Uh, She talked about having been too trusting in the past and kind of handed over all responsibility um, for her her body and and decisions during that period of her, her life and her training and having some regret about that now or certainly saying that that's not a a way she would go about things in the future. Um, it, it's a funny one, isn't it? This kind of ties in with um, with UTS this week. UTS has been in has been in London this week. I I didn't didn't watch any of the event, but I I believe it's been somewhat of a success. Lots of journalists that we know, or certainly lots of publications that we know here in the UK, have been invited down. Uh, to the Excel Centre where that event was being held to kind of experience it and therefore to write pieces about it. And lots of those pieces have kind of heralded Patrick Moratoglu as some sort of potential saviour of the sport, which is certainly how he he wants to be perceived within the sport. But alarmingly few of them have mentioned this cloud that hangs over him and this cloud that, while I don't think what Simona Halep said this week is quite throwing him under the bus. She's certainly not getting rid of that cloud, is she? And look, it might be a cloud that clears in February, but right at this moment there is a cloud hanging over Patrick Moratoglu that I think too too few people perhaps are talking about in the tennis world. David, what do you think? Well, at the very least, we know for sure that he is responsible for her taking contaminated collagen if his explanation and taking of blame i mean he he said that that it's my uh, i feel responsible for that and by extension because he's saying and she is saying that that is the the reason she tested positive then therefore his period of coaching her and him him being referred to as a super coach in some quarters yes i mean he's coached serena williams and he's he's coached her and he's coached simona holger runa and they've they've had obviously serena had a lot of success but she is serena williams um and but players have had success uh, on the court but that can't be airbrushed out of existence the fact that whilst she came to him following the whole of her career, and he's admitting that she took collagen, which he recommended, and which was contaminated. That is not a great situation, right? Now, the two things are separate to some degree. I mean, UTS, he is he 
also gets referred to as an entrepreneur in the sport and he's got a very successful academy and a lot of players go to it and um and yes he's come up with this format which kind of went quiet for two years and has now come back and and is is having several events including this one which you know has got an absolutely monstrous uh Prize winners check four hundred and thirty thousand pounds. Jack Draper won that. That's that's nearly as much as his entire career earnings. So that's a staggering sum. I'd I'd love to know where they've got that. You know, I mean, if whether he's just dipped into his pocket, Moritoglum, and put that up, I don't know. Or whether that's sponsorship or uh, equity backers, you know, private equity or something like that. I don't know where that where where the money comes from, but it's but it's and they did have some, you know, as you said, good crowds. They they, they did get an atmosphere there. But I but I it it does wind me up that people just trot out whatever line he wants at times without any sort of questioning the the validity of what he's saying. I mean, including this line he often trots out about the age of the average tennis watcher these days, which, yes, I accept is not maybe the target market that uh, that all sports governing bodies and uh, business people would love to, to, to build towards, i.e. the youth of, youth of today, right? But he's just trotted this line out and everybody's just, everybody just prints it and everybody just says it. And actually, when you look into it, I don't think it is quite right. Um, and certainly, at the very least... It it is only right that this Halep story is is also mentioned in those in those stories, in my view. Matt, yeah, I, I think I think David's said it perfectly there. Um, my understanding was that that line he trots out about the average age of a of a tennis viewer was was based on some research of TV viewers in the US. A few years ago, like I think it was a really small proportion of of people that watch tennis, and yet it's been it's been used as 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 a way of sort of justifying all these all these sort of crazy innovations that UTS has. And broadly, I like tennis having a go at innovating and trying things, and I I do think that you know people going to UTS if they have a good time there they are more likely to then start following the tour probably and following the players that they've seen like generally we're all working there in in the best interests of tennis like i think it's i think it's fine that that that, that exists and and they do try these things I, I i do find the hyperbole around it all to be quite unbearable um and i i cannot get past the scoring system which is even worse than than short sets to four. I mean, give me short sets to four over timed quarters. I mean, oh, that, this is, that is a chilling, chilling turn of phrase. The the fundamental element of tennis is you cannot run down the clock, and you have to win the last point. And I just think it's just focusing on the wrong thing, in my opinion. There's there's lots of ways to innovate tennis, but I, I just don't think that the scoring system is is the one to go all in on and yeah i i i do find the ultimate tennis showdown a a tough thing to get excited about even though as i said i do appreciate the need for some innovation somewhere um, i like the net it's not for me i like the net 
which is yeah. which is a singles net, isn't it? So you actually yeah. saw a creative shot from Casper Ruud of a sliced backhand around the net, and I really like that. Yeah. Well done. Um, That's about it. <laughs> well done, David. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm glad you bought it. Look, I'm sure there, there are elements of truth in that statistic about uh, the average age of a tennis watcher being in their 60s or something. But first of all, I mean, there are some markets that would say, why is that considered such a bad thing? Um, you know, people in their 60s are a lot more affluent than people in their 20s. You know, for for sponsors and advertisers they would rather viewers in their 60s than in their 20s um there are other reasons to want a younger audience i'm just saying that is kind of dismissed as some blanket terrible thing that tennis has to do something about when actually um older viewers are are quite important to a number of uh, stakeholders in the sport and number two young people don't watch anything on the telly they watch everything on YouTube. So it's such a pointless statistic now if you're not incorporating uh, YouTube into that statistic. I mean, I've got a a good friend that's just turned 30 and she watches everything on on YouTube pretty much and unless it's not available on YouTube. Certainly sports-wise, every, every highlights, all of it. Anyway, so, yeah, share all of your views. Um... I mean, I'm chuffed for Jack Draper that he's he's won the thing. Winning is winning, ultimately. He's not won a title before. He's beaten some good players to win that title. Existential question hang, for you hang both on, Hang on, hang on. He, he still hasn't won a title. No, I, I agree. I'm saying... <laughs> yeah, OK. It, it's I know you agree. I just, so, I just wanted to put that on the record. Yeah. It's a bit Kyle whole... in 2015 winning tie-break 10s, really. And I think, I think it is significant. What? And that was only a hundred grand at the time. This is four hundred and thirty thousand pounds. I think it was two fifty. Existential question. Kyle Edmund, was it? Mm. Okay. Well, but allowing still. for inflation, that probably is about four hundred and thirty by now. <laughs> um, uh, okay. All right. So we're talking similar gravy. Um, is it a good thing for a young player to? win that much money in one go. I th- I think it's okay for Jack Draper because I think he's got his head screwed on. But I think for it it really bothers me the way this exhibition season has gone. How how many of them there are, how easy it is, how just it's just taken as a given now that players play tennis in mid mid December and just pick up massive checks of of money and Nobody's saying anymore. No, that we, nobody seems to be having this conversation about the length of the season anymore. Uh, and then the, yeah, but you are all playing in December. It's just, people are just accepting it. And and I do feel like, I do feel like it takes away the the, the carrot a bit at some of the tour events of, of money being that big a deal, whereas it probably used to be. But you know that that's that's not my biggest concern. I think there are some players that might just turn up and win four hundred grand and just not care about anything anymore. Draper isn't one of them. Yeah, there's there's more to Jack Draper. I think I I, I think for him this is this is probably a good thing. Um, I don't really see how it can be a bad thing, as you said. 
if he were if he were maybe wired differently perhaps but knowing knowing what he's like I, I i think he will probably you know use that wisely and and put it into his career hopefully um and and sort of build on it but um it it's an interesting discussion isn't it i, I, I mean they're having it a lot in football at the moment about young players and you know if you're if you're playing a, a match that maybe doesn't mean much do you just throw your young players in or is that sort of already saying to them no no like you need to earn your place and i think um i think i think jack draper has sort of earned his place on the tour i suppose and it's, it this doesn't feel like it's come from absolutely nowhere like he's been a nobody and suddenly he's got 400,000 like he has been he has been building obviously this is a huge injection um but i i back him to build on it wisely i suppose yeah good luck to him hope he does interested to see him at the start of uh, 2024 as a person with a very deep voice i'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns but a deep voice doesn't sell b2b and advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell b2b either that's why if you're a b2b marketer you should use linkedin ads LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. You may know that I'm into my cooking, and I particularly like it when Catherine and Matt come to Solihull for meetings so that I can, you know, show off with my culinary talent. However, even I can do with a bit of help sometimes, and being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is pretty appealing to me. And Home Chef's meals, well, they're effortless. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. It's economical too. Home Chef customers save on average $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com forward slash tennis. That's homechef.com forward slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com forward slash tennis and you must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert.
Novak Djokovic has done a big interview with 60 Minutes in the US, which I understand is a big deal in the US of A. Uh, it's it's a 60 minute long interview, folks. That's that's where it gets its name from. A, apparently a deep it's not. Dive with Novak. Appar- apparently it's 13 what? minutes. Apparently the show is called 60 Minutes. One, th- and yet, and one yet, three. And then mm. the interview is 13. Which really wasn't what I was expecting at all. I thought I was watching like an edited, a meat and potatoes version. I don't know what they do. Oh, I've seen the whole thing then. I don't watch 60 Minutes. What do they do with the other 47? I mean, I realise about 20 of them are probably ads. But even so, um, I'm very surprised as well. I mean, John Wertheim wrote that uh, that he he spent two hours with Djokovic for that 13 minutes of... uh, of footage, but yes, yeah, sixty minutes. It turns out <laughs> isn't just one big hour-long interview, which I kind of would yeah. prefer. Right. Okay. That's that's me told. Um, did we learn anything new about Novak Djokovic over the course of this interview? For me, I thought there were some fantastic lines from it, and there were quite a lot of um, things that were revealed that we we sort of know to be true about Novak Djokovic just from having observed him from for so long uh, particularly recently but that we've never actually heard him articulate himself and to actually hear him vocalize those truths about himself I found really fascinating his line about the young players on tour I think they kind of awaken a beast in me Um, we know that right We've seen that beast being awoken so many times, but still to hear him say that, I found kind of spine tingling, actually. And to hear him describe how losing that Wimbledon final to Carlos Alcaraz made him feel. He said that pissed me off so much that I needed to win everything on American soil, which I did. Like he has this mode where he just goes, I'm going to win everything then. (laughs) It makes me think of that line that he gave us in the uh, French Open press conference I'll just keep winning doesn't doesn't matter what they what they say to me I'll just be here winning um uh, so yeah I, I I that was my kind of takeaway from it I I found it very insightful um and interesting without necessarily learning anything new Matt what did you think yeah I agree and and, and there are actually some some more lines a bit like that 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 John Wertheim included in in his Sports Illustrated mailbag, sort of talking around around the interview that didn't make the final cut. And um, he asked him whether 36-year-old Djokovic would beat 24-year-old Djokovic, you know. And that's a conversation that sort of we have sort of had throughout the year. And I, I guess Djokovic gave the answer that you would expect. Like, he, he, he's probably not going to talk the current version of himself down. But he said, yes, I think I would. Right now, I think I would beat my younger self. And he said, I'm mentally stronger. Uh, I'm able to handle big moments better and I play smarter. And I think, you know, those are all things that we've, and everyone who's watched Djokovic this year has has been able to observe. Even if he's lost a bit of speed, maybe around the court, he's just built up other areas of his game that he just hasn't lost anything. And it's just, I suppose, it's just interesting to hear him say that himself. Um, he was asked about when he might stop playing tennis and he and he said when he's not competing for majors and when the young guys start kicking his butt and that feels like quite a long way off doesn't it because you know he's (laughs) not only competing for majors he's winning most of them and he's 
beating the young players most of the time as well. Um, although, th- you know, things can change quickly. Um, and yeah, I, I also found John's um, just background on how that interview came about to be quite interesting because there'd been some tension between John and Novak Djokovic. John had been very outspoken about how he felt Djokovic's stance on on COVID was was sort of wrong or irresponsible perhaps and you know there there needed to be some negotiations I think between Djokovic's team and John so, so that they heard each other out and each heard their own own sort of version of events and side of it and um, it sounded like that happened during the summer and Djokovic's management team changed as well and 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 the interview came about two hours in Belgrade and yeah it was it was quite a nice just little insight into how these interviews get set up I think maybe some sometimes people just think oh, you just go and interview Novak Djokovic. But actually, there's there's so much more to it than that. Um, and Djokovic did did speak about vaccines and COVID and, and, and all that as well. You know, that, that wasn't airbrushed out of the interview. Um, so I think it was, a, it was a very full, well-rounded piece. And yeah, just, I agree, some, some good killer lines from Djokovic that sort of give you give you an insight into into that sort of mentality of his, which is just so fascinating and unique, I think. Yeah, I'm going to, I mean, assuming we get a, a Djokovic Alcaraz and or a Djokovic Sinner or a Djokovic Runa at, at the Australian Open, um, obviously hoping for all three, um, I'm going to be thinking of that line about them awakening the beast in him. I love it. Maybe more than anything, he has stopped feeling the imposter syndrome of not being able to be his true self around the scene. Uh, it's hard to believe that a guy who's won as much as he has might feel imposter syndrome, and I don't think he would call it that. But it's very clear when you put side by side his behaviour over the last 12 months versus how he used to behave five years ago, when he wouldn't have dreamed of saying these things out loud, you know, because he would have been worried about how they'd have been taken. And and he might have seemed like he's, you know, got a bad attitude or being a bad sport or being arrogant. And now he just thinks, sod you, you know, I'm just going <laughs> to, come on, I'm gonna, I, I want to beat these kids. And they are awakening a beast in me. And I'm going to say it. That's so true. Yeah. Djokovic articulating these things is is particularly interesting because... Not that long ago, he wouldn't have done. And we saw it even on on Instagram last week, where he, in the same post, congratulated Yannick Sinner's team for winning uh, Coach of the Year on the ATP side, and also was like, "Oh well, Goran, I guess I guess we'll have to do a bit more than than win three majors and and break the all time men's slam record next year for us to you know for you to get Coach of the Year." And you know, it, how I, did we all feel about that? I loved it. I really disagree with him, but I did still love it. Like, I mean, if you're just giving out Coach of the Year to the coach of the person that wins the most stuff, then yeah. what's the point in that? What's the point about? A, the award of the award right it's it's about value added and yeah and and um and that award has never been really given to just the best player like, mm. i think cameron norrie's coach won it a couple of years ago didn't he um i found i found it all being in the same post a little <laughs> like it, it was yeah it was, it's it was not keeping bit... yannick sinner warm at night is it no um he could have he could have done a, he could have done two stories you know, congrats, Yannick. <laughs> this is 
but this is how I feel rather than all in the same. But I, I quite enjoyed it, even if I do disagree. Maybe he's like me and he doesn't actually know how to do two stories. So he puts <laughs> them both in the same one. Um, but I, a, a couple of things occurred to me. One is I always remember John McEnroe at the Royal Albert Hall when when Paul Anacone had been hired by Tim Henman and people were saying, what do you think of that as a hire, John? And he said, well... I don't think we really know. Everybody keeps telling me what a great coach Paul Anacone is, but, I mean, what does he say? Go out there and be brilliant to Pete Sampras. Um, (laughs) Now, I I think that's really quite unfair, generally, to to Paul Anacone, who I I think, I mean, I think has proved himself as a coach, but he has had, it's a bit like Pep Guardiola, fantastic materials to work with. So, you know, let's see you go and coach Aldershot. Uh, or someone like that. Um, but um, the, the, the other thing is, from a Goran Thank perspective... Thank you for not saying Reading there, David. I, I thought about it. I, thought, I, I decided to choose West Bromwich Albion's third round FA Cup opponents instead. Um, <laughs> the, 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 the thing is, Goran, I feel, has made a real difference to Djokovic, but not maybe over the last 12 months in the same way as over the past three, four years with the way the serve has gone. I think I think mentally he's brilliant for Djokovic because he, he keeps it light. He takes He's quite happy to take on the chin all the, the stick he gets during matches and he, he'll kind of laugh at it and shrug it off or give him some back. And I think a lot of people wouldn't be able to do that. It, a lot of people would, would wither, really. And maybe Djokovic Djokovic wouldn't do it as much to somebody else, um, and I think he probably needs to. So I understand why Darren Cahill has got it, because Sinner feels like a different player at the end of the year to the start of the year. Djokovic is just as brilliant as he was. Um, But I feel like Goran almost needs recognizing for his body of work with Djokovic and I don't, there, there mm. just isn't something currently to to achieve that coaching hall of fame coming your way Goran um speaking of coaching news there's been actually very it's been a very quiet coaching carousel this off season we don't have any of that news that we normally would be bringing you on on this kind of a pod. But we do have the news that Juan Carlos Ferrero won't be going to Australia with Carlos Alcaraz. He has had knee surgery and will be staying home in Spain to recover from that. Um, this worries me a bit. I mean, it, I think long term it could end up being good for Alcaraz if he has a successful Australian Open you know, learning that he can do it without that. As much as I do find that to be a a healthy relationship, learning to do things without your comfort blanket um, is no bad thing. And of course, they'll they'll be in touch remotely. But it does it just worries me because Juan Carlos Ferrero has been such an enormous part of Carlos Alcaraz's success, and I also think comfort um, on the tour and. And um, on the court mm. up to this point. Yeah, I agree. I think long term, it maybe does feel like a a bit of a growth opportunity for Alcaraz to to do a Grand Slam without without Juan Carlos Ferrero there. Um, but you know, I remember the Canada Cincinnati double last year. That that's the one that sticks out to me in in terms of how sort of 
how much of a difference Juan Carlos Ferrero can make in a really positive sense. Because in 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 Canada, he wasn't there, and Alcaraz was in a really bad mood on the court. I think that was the only that's the first time I've ever seen him like throw his racket, and he was just he just wasn't himself. And then Cincinnati, Juan Carlos Ferrero was there in the box, and he was a lot calmer and a lot more positive on the court. And I think I think that relationship is so important to Carlos Alcaraz. That being said, U.S. Open semi-final last year against Medvedev. I think a lot of the analysis was Alcaraz is talking too much to Ferrero. He's he, he's relying on him too much. There was constant chatter. And Queens last year, I don't think Ferrero was there. Um, and obviously Alcaraz worked his way through that tournament and won it. And Samuel Lopez was was there with Alcaraz. He he used he's um, Pablo Cuenca Buster's coach, and he's going to be travelling with Alcaraz to Australia, according to Marker. So there, so there will be some familiarity. who have the rest of his team. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's an interesting aspect because that's one of the coaching relationships which is the most sort of evident on court. You know, you, you, you see the constant relationship back and forth. And I think we've seen it mostly in a really positive sense. But there have been the, the, the occasional, that US Open in particular, that's a time where it's maybe felt like there's too much of a reliance on him. Um, but yeah, it's it's a fascinating element. It, it does sort of add to the fact that we still haven't really seen like full proper Carlos Alcaraz in Australia. And like, are we still not going to because he's going to be without one Carlos Ferreira? Obviously, you, you know, he, he played it a couple of years ago before he was the famous Carlos Alcaraz. He missed it this year and he's going to be going next year, but without his coach, like, Still haven't quite had the full Alcaraz experience, but hopefully, hopefully he works his way through that tournament and it ends up being a sort of positive thing for him. And it's going to be Indian Wells before Juan Carlos Ferrero is back with him. Apparently he's going to miss the um, South American clay swing that Alcaraz intends to play. It's not a full Carlos Alcaraz experience without uh, Juan Carlos Ferrero hugs, is mm. it? I'm already sad about missing out on those uh staying with australia some nick kyrgios news if you can call it that obviously the big news is that he called david a peanut on twitter uh never getting over that big but i've called david a peanut about 46 times in the last 24 hours can't, can't get enough of it Um, he's not going to be taking part in the Australian Open uh, because of ongoing injury concerns report the BBC 28 year old Australian missed all four majors in 2023 because of wrist, knee and foot injuries Uh, he says I want to make sure my body is going to have the time it needs to come back Kyrgios said on his OnlyFans page Uh, Australian Open boss Craig Tiley said Kyrgios would attend quote in some form with Kyrgios saying he would still be around commentating matches. And his takes on tennis are so uh, balanced and reasonable. Can't wait for that. The Cannot funny, wait. The funny thing is, when he's actually kind of just commentating or, or in the studio doing punditry, I, I, I think he's been good. And I, like on Tennis Channel, I think he's pretty good at it. I mean, he reads, reads the sport in, incredibly well. And I think he's quite able to articulate how... He sees it. He's not one of those who just, well, I just sort of do it. He He's able to break it down. Um, but the whole thing, I t- touched on it on it a week ago when we were doing our Q&A show for Friends of the Tennis podcast about 
the way he talked about Pete Sampras, his dismissiveness of truly great champions and what got my ire and led to me be called, being called a peanut was uh, was railing against his suggestion that Boris Becker would have been eaten alive by the current generation. I mean, who who is he regarding as the current generation? Is that just Rafael Nadal, Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic? Well, He means himself, David. I mean, those three players... always means himself. ...have had better careers, certainly, than Boris Becker overall. You just need to look at the statistics. But you put Boris Becker at at his very best in the same conditions, the same era as those three, and he would have done... He would have won some matches. He'd have done pretty well. Um, and the idea that he couldn't cope with Nick Kyrgios and Kasper Ruud and Andre Rublev, I'm sorry, there's only one player who'd be eating people alive, and that's Boris Becker. Um, and I just I find the disrespect just really just crap, just disappointing. I also, just who cares whether he'd get eaten alive? or not I mean, it's impossible to e- evolution to, happens i mean everybody now would eat rod laver alive if you transplanted rod laver that doesn't matter that yeah is not relevant to any kind of debate about greatness who on earth cares he sounds like joey um, barton he sounds like somebody who's yeah i mean not playing, honestly not I'm, relevant I'm not, so just keeps talking and a lot of his a lot of his pops are uh about the past past players and past champions being irrelevant which i think is pretty shaky ground to be on for someone that hasn't played a a grand slam for a year and shows no signs of making a comeback you know he's he's fast becoming irrelevant and trying to use increasingly outrageous opinions to to keep himself relevant i'm not encouraging anyone to go on his twitter because it's a it's a pretty hideous place to be honest but there is some I, I had a look of it I had a look at it last night as a result of David you peanut um, I generally have him muted and there's some really gross stuff on there about it just sort of digging extremely deep about uh, about Boris Becker there's some complete untruths on there about his um, pleading guilty for that assault charge against uh, an ex-girlfriend, um, it, it's it's really messed up. And I know Twitter isn't life, but um, I don't know. I, I just I, I don't want to see or hear from him, even if he does have some, even if he does read the game quite well. I, I just it's not for me. David, you peanut is for me, but everything else. <laughs> Not for me. You, 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 you're both you're both forgetting his appearance on Breakpoint. Like, what a big <laughs> deal! What a big deal! He he really went with Boris Becker wasn't on Breakpoint. Didn't see him on there. What? <laughs> Unbelievable! I that laughed so hard at that. <laughs> Boris Becker was on actual uh, television, terrestrial TV, when tens of millions in a single Has he got an OnlyFans account, though, David? That's how we're judging things yeah. these days. Yeah. yeah. If you haven't got an OnlyFans account, then who even are you? Um, 
That's enough of Nick Kyrgios. Uh, moving on quickly to a couple of other odds and ends. Hannah Klugman. Allow us a slightly Brit-centric moment here because Britain's Hannah Klugman has won the prestigious Orange Bowl Junior Championships at the age of 14. Uh, this is as reported by the BBC. She beat Tyra Katarina Grant, 15, of the United States, 6-3, 6-3 in the final of the under-18 division in Florida. Um, this is part of, of a very much ahead of the curve trajectory for Klugman. She became the youngest player in October to qualify for a $100,000 event on the ITF World Tour and went on to reach the quarterfinals in Shrewsbury, the event that uh, we were at. We did a live show there earlier in the year. That record was previously held by current US Open champion Coco Goff. And look, it's not a guarantee of success winning the Orange Bowl, but just to put it into context, past champions include... Chris Evert, Caroline Wozniacki, Bianca Andreescu and Coco Goff. He was also 14 when she won it in 2018. And uh, we need to tread a fine line here because she's 14. There are no guarantees of anything. And yet this is hugely exciting. And everything I hear about Hannah Klugman from people that are in the know... Um, and have have really seen her up close, ex players and so on. Is that she she really is the real deal, both in terms of technique and her game, and also in terms of her um, mentality and I suppose stability, her ability to to handle the tour. I I I really I worry about young women transitioning onto onto life on tour. I don't think um, I don't think there is enough to help young women with um with that life transition um and it is it is absolutely not a, an insult to to say that some struggle with it i think i think i would struggle with it but everything that i hear is that um she seems pretty well set up for it um and it's very exciting yeah it is that that, that just when you say the the under 18 division and you see a 14 against a 15 year old playing that that does it can't help but get you pumped for for watching their their progress and there are so many exciting stories like Coco Golf and players like that and then there are others who did it like Laura Robson who ran into injury troubles and and her career never reached quite what we thought it would so yeah you're right it's it's fine to be it's okay to be excited but uh but we do have to be realistic as well. I remember when my my brother was a, a good junior and he was um, in the same age division as Johnny Delgado, younger brother of Jamie Delgado. And Johnny was Johnny was very I think he was I think he was better than than my brother. Um, but I remember Jamie Delgado winning the Orange Bowl and that sending a ripple around the home counties junior tennis scene. Uh, that that one of ours uh, has gone and done it and is definitely destined for big success. And look, Jamie Delgado has had a great, great coaching career and had some success on tour, but certainly not the sort of success that you generally predict as a result of, of reaching the the Orange Bowl, uh, or, uh, winning the Orange Bowl. I mean him no disrespect by using his him as a cautionary tale. And he um, found it's it not difficult. Like he's all that washed hype. up in the dole queue, but yeah, you know it it's 
it, it's worth noting, I think. So, Hannah, we wish you well. We'll try and tread the um, the line of excitement and uh, not getting overhyped, uh, which we're not necessarily known for treading brilliantly, but we will do our best. This is our last tennis podcast before the 2024 season gets underway down under in Australia. The first tennis balls struck in earnest will be at the United Cup in Perth, which gets underway on December 29th, because of course the 2024 season starts in 2023. Uh, Sydney, I think, gets underway one day later. Um, I think it's fair to say that the draw has definitely fallen in Perth's favour. The group stages take place in Perth and then uh, the semis and finals will take place in Sydney. So Perth has got Poland, Spain and Brazil uh, in Group A, United States, Great Britain and Australia in Group C and the Czech Republic, China and Serbia in Group E, which means they've got both world number ones in Djokovic and Svantec. They've got Australia um, United States, they've got Wimbledon champion Marketa von Drosheva, um in the Czech Republic and they've got a Chinese team for the first time which I think is is pretty fun. I mean that is okay, I mean it'd be fun to have Carlos Alcaraz in, in the Spanish team wouldn't it? But apart from that Perth has got an incredibly exciting lineup, and then Sydney's got uh, Greece, Canada, Chile in Group B. Of course Canada didn't take part last year did they so cool for them to have a team and I think that's Felix Ogelia Seam and um, Leila Fernandez leading the line there uh, they have Group D France Italy and Germany Angelique Kerb has come back uh, in that German team and then they have Croatia the Netherlands and Norway in Group F and of course the Brisbane tournament is back and as are Rafael Nadal and Naomi Osaka, they'll be making their comebacks there. Pray silence, please. Uh, we're excited, aren't we? Oh, yeah. I mean, when you reel that lot off, it is fantastic to look forward to it. And I think because there are so many comebacks and, and stories of generations crossing over at the moment. And, uh, yeah, I think this is going to be a momentous year for players that the sport loses but gets to see hopefully meaningfully one more time and maybe a few more yeah i'm I'm very excited for the start of the season it, it feels like the start of the season for a few years has been not quite ideal you know ever, ever since they sort of changed and created the atp cup um that wasn't great uh last year was was good with the United Cup, but I, I think this version is going to be better with it being streamlined and just sort of, you know, pretty high profile singles matches all the way through there. And then we've we've also got Brisbane back, which is just a fantastic event. Um, and having Osaka and Nadal there make their return is going to be incredible. And then I, I think it's interesting that I think currently Medvedev, Sinner and Alcaraz, as it stands, are all all not playing any warm-up events before the Australian Open. So, like, they've chosen a very different path, you know. So I think we've got a lot of interest from the players who will be playing in those in those opening tournaments of the year. But then also there'll be that interesting element to the Australian Open with players that we haven't seen yet. It, it really does feel like 
we're going to get the best of both there. I, I think it's I think it's set up to be a fantastic start to the to the new season and yeah, a, a, a very much a return because I used to love the the, the pre Australian Open swing. It used to work really well and it hasn't quite for the last few years. But I'm I'm really pumped for this one. Yeah, I, I'm really excited to see Brisbane back. I'm glad. I think two cities is going to work better for the United Cup. Um, glad to see those those format tweaks that they've made. I'm going to be out there for the United Cup. I'm going to Perth for the first time. Catherine and Quokkas is happening, <laughs> folks. Um, in fact, I've got a whole weekend <laughs> currently in my diary dedicated just to Quokkas. Um, any other travel tips for Perth? Very much welcome. <laughs> if not, I'm quite happy to see the Quokkas three days in a row. Um, so, yeah, I travel on Boxing Day and uh, Matt and David will be close behind me coming out to Melbourne for the Australian Open um, if you fancy going to the Australian Open can't make it for the 2024 edition well what about 2025 folks um, it's legitimate I think to talk about the 2025 season already because of course we know it will start in 2024 uh, because because tennis so uh, the good news is very soon You'll be able to get the best available tickets to the 2025 Australian Open, courtesy of AO Travel. If that sounds good to you, you can register your interest in their travel packages for 2025 by visiting ozopentravel.com, A-U-S-opentravel.com. You'll be among the first to know when tickets go on sale and they can sort out luxurious accommodation and premium experiences too. Um, I love booking things really far in advance because it's it's maximum time to look forward to them, isn't it? And sometimes the looking forward is uh, is just as fun as the doing. So uh, Oz Open Travel, the place to go. You don't have to commit to anything. If it just is something that you'd like to be kept in the loop about, something you want to have a think about maybe doing, uh, then that's the place to go to register your interest. Um, just a bit of housekeeping for us on the Friends of the Tennis podcast front. Obviously, our uh, categories went live a couple of weeks ago. We, as always, have been completely bowled over by your support of the pod and your commitment to being friends of the tennis podcast. All of our muscat slots have gone they have been snapped up folks which means we have a full roster of animals for me to peruse in 2024 which is excellent news we still have a few guest editor and predictions slots available uh, intros and shout outs are available all year round so you can sign up for one of those categories whenever you like and you can sign up to be a friend whenever you like. And for that, you will get monthly live shows on YouTube in 2024. You'll also get our community page when it launches at the start of 2024. Um, That's going to be a lot of fun. I think Uh, we've got Hannah Wilkes on board to be involved in that throughout the year. And we're really proud of it. And we're really excited about it. And um, I hope it'll be a fun, safe space for people that love tennis. Um, Nick Kyrgios not welcome um, you'll also get grants <laughs> from review episodes <laughs> <laughs> look people calling David a peanut welcome other other hoo-ha not welcome <laughs> uh, you'll also get the Grand Slam review episodes and Tennis Relived 
Um, and on the tennis relift front, the WTA 50-year uh, anniversary episode is up now. And Maria Bueno relived will be going up between Christmas and New Year. We'll be back with our uh, 2024 season launch podcast at the very start of January. Uh, but if you can't wait till then, then you'll be getting a tennis podcast hit on the Friends feed with Maria Bueno relived between Christmas and New Year. It's all happening, folks. Um, are we playing any exhibitions over the next couple of weeks or are we just uh, just gearing up for the new season? No, you see, we, we start the new season in January, Catherine. Yep. Well, actually, I don't. I'm flying, <laughs> flying to Australia on Boxing Day. <laughs> I'm out with an ankle um, injury. <laughs> Sustained yeah, Matt would playing be playing tennis. an exhibition. Matt would be playing an exhibition series in Mexico, but he's had to mm. uh, he's had to defer with an injury. Um, I would like to tell you about our mascot for this episode. It's a very special one. Look, they're all special, but this one is particularly special because this is Speck, and Speck is owned by a very special friend of the show, Steve Armour, who has been a supporter of this show for such a long time. And the, the way he supports the show is is kind of like no other. He sends us the most wonderful emails you can possibly imagine. Um, every time Steve Armour drops into our inbox, we all get a little free song because we know it's shared. either going to make us... It gets shared. It'll probably make us cry, um, yeah. but they'll be happy, happy tears in there as well. Speck is a four-year-old border collie. Steve says, we found Speck through a rescue group that specialises in homeless herding dogs. He'd bounced from foster home to foster home, never finding a family that would take him, probably because he's deaf. Turns out there are many advantages to having a deaf dog. He sleeps really well. He's not afraid of fireworks and I can shout, for God's sake, stop barking at the top of my lungs and it doesn't trouble him at all. Uh, I like to tell him he is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. This is problematic for three reasons. One, it's not true. Two, he can't hear me. Three, he has a brain the size of a lemon. His brain may not know tennis royalty, but it does know love and fun and friendship and joy, all things he's brought into our lives. We love Speck very much. Wow. Uh, and he's, abs- I know, he's absolutely gorgeous. Um, and uh, yeah, you may remember Steve uh, as being the owner of Cam, our special uh, French Open mascot number two of 2020. Um, and yeah, you've probably got a flavour there in that description of what a Steve Armour email is like. So thank you, Steve. And thank you, Speck. We have new presenter mascots and top folks and executive producers coming in the new year. We'll be announcing and unveiling them soon. In the meantime, Matt, we have our final shout outs of 2023. Yes, that is that is true. But I should say that there are still some shout outs from 2023 that will be rolling over into 2024. So if you haven't heard your shout out yet... Don't worry, it's it's probably coming in the new year. Um, well, it is coming in the new year. Yes, for sure. Um, <laughs> um, we start today, and we're doing, and, and we're back on the five 
five shout-outs. We start with Jeff Augustine in Los Angeles. We know Jeff. Hello, Jeff. Jeff uh, recently guest-edited a show for us on the Friends feed, and uh, he did a stellar job. We love Jeff. Jeff like Tarango. Any tennis Jeffs? Tarango, of course. Good pal of mine from the radio. Same spelling as well. Hmm. A J spelling, not a J, uh, not a G spelling. There you go. Mm, Thank you, Jeff. Cheers, Jeff. We've also got Yao Ji Hong, who is Ooh. in the US, in in Seattle. He says, although Seattle is the home of David's favorite NFL team, I'm not a football fan myself, and more enjoying, I more enjoy watching the Premier League besides tennis. Oh. Does he support West Bromwich Albion? Or not? well, no, they're not. In, they're not, not in the, in the Premier, Premier League. League <laughs> oh yeah, I knew I was missing some vital detail to my. <laughs> tough scene. Next tough year, scene for David. That one. Thank you, Yao. Exactly. Next year, Matt. The quite very, right. sl- very subtly slighting David Law. There, we appreciate it. David, <laughs> you peanut. <laughs> I slightly brought that on myself. Carry on. <laughs> We've also got Elise Philippar. I've just I've just gone with a a whole sort of francophone pronunciation there and Elise is in Abu Dhabi. Oh. Hello Elise, like Elise Mertens. Yes. Is that the right spelling? Same spelling. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. How lovely. Elise, thank you so much for being a friend of the pod. Nailed that. Thank you Elise. We've also got Shrikanth Reddy. Oh, Shrikanth? Shrikanth was at our live show last night. Yeah. That's awesome. Hello, Shrikanth. Shrikanth submitted a very good question, as I recall. Yes. Uh, Shrikanth is currently living in Greensboro, North Carolina, but considers herself to be from Ohio. And she discovered the podcast during the pandemic. And uh, it was the Tennis Relived shows that got her hooked, which is nice to hear. Which Carolina was that? Uh, North. North. North, okay. Don't know which one is better, but... I've never been to either. Imagine they're they're quite similar. (laughs) Which one is Charleston in? South. Who can say? True count, (laughs) let us know. (laughs) And finally, we have Selena Woods. Right, Selena. Hello, Selena. Selena is from Westchester, Ohio, right next to Mason, Ohio, where they have the Cincinnati tournament. We get a lot of shout outs from people from who are in we that do. area. We do. There's also Westchester in New York, isn't there? New York State. Um, yes. Mm. That comes up in but Friends, I think. Mm, that's that's not this one. So, mm. And Selena uh, says, s- I will complete my fan slam this January. Oh, we love that. I've bought a friend subscription for my tennis partner, Kate, and my mum, Shirley, who at age 84 still plays two to three times a week. Love that. Love that. Hello, Kate and Shirley. Uh, hello, Selena. Bit like Serena. That's what Selena says. 
like Serena, but with an L. <laughs> and also, right. Matt, I dare say you've come across Selena Roberts, a writer for Sports Illustrated over the years. Yes, you're right. In the vault. No relation. <laughs> no. <laughs> Very good. Selena, thank you. Enjoy the Australian Open. Next time you hear from us, I will be in Australia. And Matt and David will be in a state of pre-Australia packing frenzy, most likely. Uh, we can't wait for the New Year's and new season, folks. Come on the journey with us. Happy New Year. Happy holidays. We'll speak to you very soon. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.